Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Mike. And I'm Nate. What are we smoking today, Nate? Well, I was trying to look at that, and uh, it's all backwards. It's, it's mirror image. I'm just kidding. On the other side of it, it is under crown uh, shade, I guess, and it looks to be a Connecticut wrapper. Um, yes. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I, I put it in my mouth to wet the end, and it was not a pleasant taste. Um, you know, I was going to say the same thing. It is oh, not- no. oh no i was gonna say the same thing well you know what we're gonna do it for you the listener anyway and we will see uh we're both in our own home studios again which is nice because i don't have to wear pants hell yeah not not that mike doesn't let me go pantless it's just he can't keep his hands to himself if i do so exactly I am uh, not rocking a proper shirt right now, just for all okay. our listeners to know. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's the uh, director's cut of the episode. You get to see Mike shirtless. Yeah. yeah. Sarah was making fun of me earlier today. <laughs> okay. How about we light this thing up and uh, we'll just kind of see <laughs> where it goes. Absolutely. It doesn't smell very good either, dear listener. Oh, God. I mean, uh, great. It's it, I like this. <laughs> It has a very strong flavor. It has something, yes. Um, in other news, I'm pairing this with a black Russian. Oh, hey. I figured I'd take the role of Mike in this one and, and come in hot with a cocktail. I am uh, pairing it up with a big wave that I okay. took from uh, Rockfest because we got evacuated oh. and a glass of Johnny Walker Black. Nice. I was gifted a bottle of Kahlua. Or, you know, a, a mostly full bottle of Kahlua. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what can I make? And so I was looking up all these different um, recipes. And it was, of course, mudslide and all this other stuff. And then it was Black Russian. And I had had White Russians before, but I've never had a Black Russian before. And they're quite nice. They are. Former guest uh, Al uh, has oh. pretty much only drank Black Russians for, oh, I don't know how many years. 15 years. Okay. Yep. That's like... I don't think I've ever seen him drink anything else in 15 years. Wow. Yeah. He's got it down, man. He he like tries different vodkas and uh, Kahluas. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, he like explores all the avenues of the Black Russian. Yes. Uh, well, before we get into our topic, I wanted to, and I, I put this in the notes of last episode, but I wanted to clarify something here mm-hmm. uh, from last episode with the, uh, the Mandela effect, mm-hmm. right? And we were talking about Queen's We Are the Champions. Well, it turns out that the uh, greatest hits recording of the song does include Of the World, Mm. but not the original vinyl pressing, not the original recording. So that was something that was added for like the greatest hits. Uh, So I just wanted to clarify, you may not be crazy on that one. We might have been gaslighting you, so... We were definitely gaslighting. Definitely, and I did re and I did rewatch the uh, the end of Mighty Ducks, and they used the greatest hits version. So, of course, and there it is of the world. So, <laughs> and you know what? The Mighty Ducks might have come out when the greatest hits came out of Queen, so they probably used the newer version. So, all of us younger generation are probably more used to of the world because that was what was popular at the time, and uh, anyone older than us thinks that that's uh, blasphemous. So. Oh, sure. Uh, Speaking of blasphemous, um, outside of this cigar here, I watched something else blasphemous. You already know what it is because we talked about it. We do plan every once in a while, but I watched the uh, 1984 version of Sting. I'm sorry, of Dune. And uh, 
that was a little joke, right? Sting was huge in the 80s, I guess, but Patrick Stewart was also in it. And so I don't know why it's not called Patrick Stewart's Dune, except he was in like two scenes and spoke half a sentence. Right. But I watched the whole thing all the way through. So uh, that's what we're going to kind of work our way through this episode, right, Mike, is the 1984 Dune. Yes. So um, we do occasionally communicate, and uh, I rewatched it today <laughs> before before the show. Oh, While I was cheating. doing my notes for my version of the show, I was watching okay, Dune yeah. 1984. Again, I've seen it now twice. So Yeah. So uh, let's just, to clarify, like Mike's seen it uh, fully twice. I've seen it fully once. I've tried to watch it three or four other times, but I've had to shut it off because uh, it's just, it's not, it's not good. I, you know, I watched the whole thing. There are things that I certainly enjoy and we'll kind of go through some of this stuff. There are a lot of things that I don't enjoy. I don't, do you want me to tell you my biggest problem with the whole thing just right up front? Or do you want to kind of go through it first? Or how do you want to dissect this uh, film? You know what? Why don't we, you can tell me the worst thing about Dune in your opinion, and then we can go through it, of course, because my notes are in order, but my big issue okay. came almost immediately. Yeah. Um, so of course, like I, uh, there's there's very there's a lot of artistic I don't know if it's artistic is the right word but there's a lot of liberties taken with the Dune storyline and who is and isn't uh, kind of like a villain or a knowing person versus an unknowing person my biggest complaint against the whole film outside of all of the freaking narration and inner monologue stuff that happens and I know why they did it so you know like we we don't have to quick defend it from Nate, but I know why they did it. It's just, I didn't like that. But my biggest, biggest, biggest thing that I didn't like, and I kind of realized maybe halfway through was there aren't any establishing shots of anything. So you're watching and there's some people in a room and they're talking. And then you're at another scene and there's some more people in a room, but the room looks kind of different, but you're not really sure if you're on Caladan or Arrakis or Jetty Prime or... You know, so there's not really much in the way of establishing shots to help the viewer get a feeling for where we are, who we're talking with, you know, and that's despite all the narration and kind of setup work at the beginning. And so it really helps. Like, I wouldn't show this movie. I wouldn't show this movie to somebody who's casually interested in Dune. I would say, look, if you want to watch the 1984 version of Dune, like read the book so you know what's going on. And then you can watch the movie to see some like 80s hokiness. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hit one of my complaints, I guess. I, I have okay. moans and niggles, and I, as the movie went through, I kind of just wrote things that I liked and things that I didn't like. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about some of the things, or what's your biggest thing? You, you do your biggest thing you dislike, and then let's talk about some of the stuff that we do like. And then we the, can kind of talk about what, what differs from sure. the, the canon or the actual storyline. I didn't, I agree with you, the level of narration is absurd. And there is a very good reason why they have to have so much narration. Um, yeah. I mean, they're basically but, cutting cutting down a, a full book to a brisk two hours and maybe three minutes, you know, and that's right. less than part one was, you know, of Denis Vianvu's part one was almost three hours long, right? Yeah, it's right. I mean, the new version is going to be twice as long easily. For the oh, same yeah. story. So they just didn't have time. You know, they tried to cover too much material. So yeah. they had to talk through it, which kind of sucks. But as petty as it is, my biggest issue was the shields, the body shields. Dude, those the are square so bad. body shields. I couldn't. They were Even so for 1984, bad. man, it was wretched. They could have done something better than that. I mean, they could have had them wear mosquito netting or something. Easily. 
There could have been something. It was very, very bad. For as good as the guild navigators were, they could have done something. Yeah. Because the guild navigators were money. I really liked their portrayal of the navigators for sure. Yeah, they were good. The worms were good. Yep. The worms are you good. Know, in, a, in a 1980s kind of way. Right. Well, it's very 1980s. Like, yeah. When Sarah and I watched it for the first time, she mentioned like, holy shit, this is like totally 80s-tastic, like UPN 9, 1994 at night TV type stuff. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this comes right on before Purple Rain. <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, and I, you know, like I, I really enjoy 80s movies in general. I thought the score by Toto at the end there, I mean, because I don't really felt, I didn't feel they used any Toto tracks until the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, kind of the instrumental like 80s power rock stuff was was really nice. I thought like. I wasn't really sure what to expect because a lot of times when you're like an 80s movie and it's and score by Toto, you're like, uh, okay, are they like going to be singing a song called Paul Atreides of Dune, you know, and like some hokey lyrics put in or, are they, you know, what, how are they going to do this? Uh, but it was all right. instrumental. And so I thought it was well done. I think my favorite thing from Dune, uh, the movie in 1984, was probably the map paintings. The background map paintings were just gorgeous. Oh, sure. They were nice. Um, I liked the emperor's uh, castle or his like. Oh yeah, all yeah. the weird gold and like the detailed like uh, three dimensional backgrounds that they built. Yeah, I thought it that was, was very neat. over the top. Uh, which is it's supposed to be. Yeah, um, I want to talk real quick about casting. Yes, I really, I really liked the actor they got to play Duncan Idaho in this one. Mm. It it felt to me like the Duncan felt to me in the books. Sure. You know, where, where Jason Momoa is a little more quirky, right, in the new one. I really yes. felt that, that this Duncan just kind of was what I expected the character to be, if I, if I sure. could clear my brain out of everything. I was not really a fan of the actor that played Paul. I know he did some stuff in the 80s, and that's fine. And I really was not a fan of who they cast as the emperor. The emperor seemed kind of like meek and mildish compared to how he was in the book. Oh, yeah. He was a little too competent, really, when you think about it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Shaddam's yeah. supposed to kind of be a nitwit a little bit. Yeah, he didn't really give like nitwit vibes because he was almost playing it too nice, like like a, like a elderly grandfather who's just trying to to be nice. And I really kind of felt like he was supposed to be kind of a giant asshole. Right. Not an overstated yeah. asshole, but, you know, like definitely kind of that evil streak. Right. Like stab you in the back, but also mm-hmm. a puppet of everybody else. Yeah. The Bene Gesserit haircut threw me off for sure. Yeah, that. Uh, so all the Bene Gesserit are bald. The other thing that I didn't like happened almost immediately where the navigators come in and they say, well, not the navigators, the navigator comes in and is like, we want Paul Atreides dead. He's going to screw up the whack of the universe or some shit. Mm. And the Bene Gesserit are like, the emperor's like, okay, Bene Gesserit, you got to go. And I want full tele- telepathy here in this. And I'm like, okay, so one, Bene Gesserit don't have telepathy at all. They they can read, you know, people and they have truth sayers and stuff, but like calling it telepathy is kind of a mockery of the entire Bene Gesserit order. 
And then two, like the navigators don't know jack shit about anything. It takes them like seven books for the navigators to finally be like, oh, something's going on here because their prescience only lets them fold space. Like it's not seeing visions of the future of, of people and players. And the fact that the Bene Gesserit, after that meeting, when they were listening in, they said, we have to go find out about Paul. Well, they knew about Paul because they know about Jessica because Jessica's a reverend mother. So right. like it just kind of took, it took all of the wind out of the Bene Gesserit sail in, in a way that like modern movies do now nowadays to like any male character almost, right? So th- this was them doing it to the the female characters, like making them kind of like charlatans and like we're behind on everything when really they were eons ahead of the t- ahead of the game, you know? Right. I mean, the Bene Gesserit in the books were kind of the uh, the real power behind the universe. Them and the guildsmen. Yeah, the Bene Gesserit were kind of like the engine, the motor that ran the universe because it was their whole plan and breeding program that led to all these arranged marriages, even if people didn't know they were arranged. And, um, you know, they kind of controlled who got born and who didn't, you right. know, because they got so mad at Jessica for, for carrying a, a male full term um, because the Bene Gesserit have such control over the bodies that they know the gender of the child without having any kind of like blood tests or uh, ultrasounds or anything like that, you know, so... Jessica would have known right away, and then the other Reverend Mothers would have known right away, too, because, uh, you know, you, you can't really hide stuff from the Bene Gesserit. No, they see everything through their network of spies. Yeah, and you can later on, you know, in the, in the series, and we talked about that, but at this early in, in the in the storyline, you know, the Bene Gesserit are fully kind of in control, and you're supposed to hate them in the first couple books. Oh, for sure. So they're not necessarily the heroes, but they're not necessarily the villains, Everybody, you know, you kind of think they are in the first part of the book. But they're certainly not mindless charlatans, you know, trying to sell snake oil and, and telepathy down at the carnival. Right. Yeah, that wasn't very nice. I guess I, I, there were like, there were visual aspects where I, I didn't agree with. I understood a lot of the story shorthand they did because they were trying to put so much into it that they had to make shortcuts. Yeah. But, uh, the visuals kind of, some of it really threw me off. Like some of the stuff was spot on and some of the stuff was like way out in left field. Right. Like the still suits were stupid. Why would you have your whole head exposed to the desert? When you're losing, you know, how much moisture out of your fucking head. Yeah. You know, not as much as um, Duncan Idaho after the um, the spinner bullet, but, you know, <laughs> other other people are still losing moisture out of their out of their heads. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought the, I thought the still suits were fine, if anything, a little bit puffy and almost like ski vests, you know, but for the 80s. I thought it was a fairly restrained take on still suits. I mean, they could have come out like in a David Bowie-esque type outfit and said, these are our right. still suits and they're fabulous or whatever. So I didn't have as much of an issue with that. But yeah, it makes sense. Like you should have your head covered. Right. They should have their head covered. And I don't know why they have such ridiculously huge beards. Uh, that's not going to make a good seal. Yeah, I don't care about the beards. How about, so like at the very beginning when Princess Irulan is talking and then they kind of ignore her until the very, very end, but then they still kind of like, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself because we'll talk about the end later. And they're talking like, and the Mentats, they're the human computer machines that have red lips. And then every Mentat you see has like normal colored lips, but huge fucking eyebrows. Like ginormous eyebrows. eyebrows. And I'm like, why not? You know, like I understand the book says they have red lips, but if you're going to give them giant eyebrows, don't tell us they have red lips. Say you could tell them by their ginormous freaking eyebrows. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sarah was thrown off by that. Like, like, I, I, like I, I mean, like honestly, at that point, you don't need to mince words. If you're changing it, just just own up to it. Yeah, we know right. the book says red lips, uh, but fuck you, we want these giant eyebrows. The eyebrow guy said there's a two for one sale, so everybody's getting big eyebrows. Yeah, the raccoon that they painted or painted that they glued onto Brad Dourif's forehead will let you know that he is in fact Peter DeVries. Yes. <laughs> We think. I actually wrote down uh, some of the casting that I really liked because I liked Brad Dourif as Peter DeVries. Yep. Uh, I'm a big fan. And I actually like Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck. He wasn't in the movie enough. Yeah, he wasn't in the movie enough. I felt like Patrick Stewart wasn't, I don't know, wasn't, I mean, Patrick Stewart's not really a funny guy. No. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. But like, he doesn't usually play funny guys. And not that Gurney Halleck is super funny, but Gurney Halleck is supposed to play some of these kind of like tongue in cheek songs, right? And that's kind of his humorous outlet or his like venting or whatever it might be. And he plays the older songs and stuff. And so they had uh, Patrick Stewart carry this ginormous, uh, what I guess they imagine a ballast to be, unless that is a real ballast. I don't know. Then that's too big for an instrument, like have Gurney play like a ukulele <laughs> or uh, something else. But it was like the largest yeah. thing ever and it had like all these balls and bulbs and stuff. And it's like- It was a six that's foot like a, long a, loot. <laughs> yeah. It's like a siege. It's a siege weapon is what it is. <laughs> I thought they. I thought Paul was going to ride uh, his his ballast set through the shield wall at the end instead of the worm. <laughs> is oh that Shy Halut? No, no, that's uh, that's Gurney Halleck's ballast set. Yeah, how is that supposed to be a mobile thing that you can take with you into the battlefield and shit? Because yeah, it was. I when I when I thought ballast set, I thought like half the size of a <laughs> guitar with more strings. Yeah, I thought somewhere somewhere between like a lute, a ukulele, like certainly smaller than a full-blown guitar. But this thing was, yeah. you know, like you might as well just carry a stand-up bass, dude. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like mandolin size is what I was thinking. Something like that. Mm -hmm. so. Or like an auto anyway. harp or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a keytar. Like, I don't, why didn't they do a keytar? It was the 80s. That would have been sweet. Uh, by the way, I'm about an inch in, maybe a little longer. And it has mellowed out. I'm not saying that it's great. But <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not it's not as bad as it initially was. The first quarter inch was vile. It was terrible. And like like the the flavor on the cap when I wet it was was worse than the sourness from some of those Gurkhas we smoked. Like it was <laughs> I was like, did they did they like dip this in like their nutsack sweat before they wrapped it up and sent it out or dude? Not I that got, I know like, what nutsack sweat tastes like, but uh, if Victorian I had to imagine era like horrid vibes off of it, I'm like, oh Jesus, this is why they yeah, drink yeah. whiskey with cigars. <laughs> yeah, this is the cigar that um somebody put in their in their wool vest pocket before walking across the United States of America to get to the West Coast. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know oh, if this is God. the worst one we've ever smoked on the show, but it's in the running, I tell you. Oh, it's worst five. It's not as bad as the Blood Red Moon for sure. Nothing's that bad, but no. This is uh, just the initial shock of this one was enough for me to be kind of like, well, this might be a 10 minute episode. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I thought so. All right, too. let's go. Let's go through some more of your notes, uh, and then we'll just keep smoking. And uh, well, I guess when we're done talking about Dune, we can be done with the cigar, maybe, unless there's like a mid stick flavor change. But there might it would be. Have to it's be not. It would have to be something quite phenomenal. It's not that bad right now. It's fine. It's not the best. But. It's uh, yeah. Mm, agree to yeah. disagree, I guess. But. <laughs> <laughs> So casting, I, I did make note of some casting. I liked Sting. I thought he was great. I, did, I, I had no problem with Sting whatsoever. 
I thought he was great. Uh, I thought that Linda Hunt was good. Yeah. As the shadow mapes. I liked, yeah. I don't know what actor played Baron Harkonnen, but I thought that he, his makeup was great. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't like the doctor like, oh, you're so beautiful. Like as he's popping like these giant cysts, but I'm not into the like Dr. Pimple Pop proper thing either. So. Right. He's like supposed a, to be gross. You know, they can't have him. And it's working. Be really gross. Yeah. They can't have him be the, um. The fat pedophile from the the book, right, right. So I, I kind of yeah. Get so it. like, Mapes was was fine. I wish they just kind of would have cut her out of the whole thing because like they never mentioned Chris Knives at all, and then she was like yeah. there, and then the giant floating dildo came in, and Paul was like, "Holy shit, that's a giant floating dildo!" And then he saved Mapes from being penetrated by the giant floating dildo, uh, aka the Hunter Seeker. Yep. And uh, for for a minute, I thought, and uh, and we were watching it on Amazon, I think. And um, for a minute, I thought, are they putting porn on Amazon now? Like, what's this dildo doing floating through the air? Like, is this the wrong the wrong nineteen eighty four Dune? Am I watch Am I watching Dune it instead of Dune? But uh, no, it was it was Dune. But uh, counterpoint to the giant floating dildo, I did like how they did the Gam Jabor in this one. Oh sure, as the little yeah. finger cap with the needle instead of the full full like pin thing or whatever. Sure. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, at times, it was really accurate to the book to almost to it was like for somebody who hasn't read it, it probably isn't the best story because they're so accurate to the book. And that's only because they skip all the build up to that point. You know, they really choppy with their yeah. information. So well, and that's kind of the thing is like there's they're accurate in certain scenes. And then the scenes that they change to cut stuff for time doesn't really make sense as to why they cut the scenes or the the, the plot points that they did when it's right. like then there what was that there's a was it Paul's spice induced stream sequence or something like they and they and they really didn't put much emphasis on the spice either in in this one it felt really like it was like secondary or tertiary to the kind of the plot of the emperor and the harkonnens trying to fuck over the atreides and then the spice just kind of happened to be there you know, yeah, and the spice is kind of the whole point. Yeah, the spice it's, is the whole point. Yeah, <laughs> it's integral to the story. Yeah, so I felt like they didn't really put enough emphasis on that, and then I, I felt really uh, as, as as big a disservice as they did to the Bene Gesserit. I felt they this movie did an even bigger disservice to the Fremen because you, they didn't really talk about much Fremen stuff. You got to see the uh, the underground reservoir of water, and then. That was kind of about it, and you didn't really ever get into any of the cool stuff that the Fremen do. Only in passing, like you know. Only in passing, and the architecture I thought was really out of place. Like, yeah, I always envisioned Fremen architecture being more natural than these crazy like black lines. Like you're not in Mordor, you know. Yeah, and you're not like post-industrial or something like that. Like I was expecting something right. more like, um, what is that temple at, Pe- at Petra or Petra? Or it's kind of like carved into the cliff face or something, you know, something like that. Right. And they weren't Middle Eastern enough. Yeah. There's as also as far that. as I'm concerned. Their eyebrows were an appropriate size, so that was good. <laughs> yeah. It sounds crazy maybe to the listener, but the fact that everybody was pasty pale white really threw me off on a desert planet. Yeah. You know, at the very least, there should have been some tan people, you know? Yeah, and that's how they are in the book. They're white, but they're not, they're like dark and brown. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, theoretically, they're a mono race in the sky. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they've all kind of evolved past having genetic differences on that level. The fact that nobody was tan really threw me off. Yeah. 
<laughs> Especially since they had no head covering of any kind. <laughs> yeah, one of you has a sunburn. I know it. Right, exactly. Like, you should at least have a suntan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for a multi-million dollar movie, uh, details matter. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I want to talk about real quick was the end, which yes. is kind of like... Um, Quick. Do you remember? I don't know if it was an episode of it was an episode or a movie of Family Guy. It might have been the the movie when Stewie and and um, Brian go traveling, mm-hmm. uh, but they go and take like a an open air bus tour in Germany. And so the the tour guide is like talking all the way up to like you know 1920, and then he's like, yeah, and then so like 1950 we did this, and and they kind of skipped over the whole like World War II unpleasantness. And so Brian was like, wait. What happened here in like the 30s and 40s, the tour guide's like, we're all on vacation. So I felt like the ending was kind of like that where uh, Princess Irulan came on and was like, and then Paul uh, saved the Fremen and made it rain and, and there was peace forever, as if he doesn't launch his own jihad immediately after this book ends, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it was all over the place. They, it could have been three movies and better, but oh, easily. one was just too short. You know, they just. Yeah. They, had but they didn't really. Stuff. In the 80s, they didn't really do part one, part twos. You know what I mean? No. No, they did. They would do they would do sequels for sure, but they would be based on a different book. Or, uh, well, actually, um, Never Ending Story from the 80s. The, the first one is based on the first half of the book. And then Never Ending Story 2 is based on the second half of the book. So they kind of did that, but they didn't really call it part one, part two. And, you know, there's different actors and stuff in the second one. But, you know, so it wasn't unheard of to do kind of like a part one, part two. But I think all the good Dune titles were taken. So they'd have to do it. What uh, Denis Villeneuve is doing right now with, with Dune part one, Dune part two, because you've already got Dune, Children of Dune, Dune Messiah, Chapter House Dune. Like every, you've got all these names out there already. So you can't just be like a uh, sandworm crashing through shield wall on Dune. <laughs> that's the name of your movie. That's that's the name of my movie. Yep. That's what you would call like a impressionist painting of Dune. You would call it sandworm crashing through shield wall. <laughs> oh my! And if you stood far enough away, it'd look like a, a giant dookie. <laughs> Did you notice uh, the ornithopters? Yeah, they were not very impressive. <laughs> no, they were kind of. Oh, and here's the other thing about the ornithopters. So when they go and uh, oh, oh man, this is okay. So I laughed so hard at this. Uh, so they've got Duke, Duke, Leto, Atreides, and Paul, and uh, some other fucking. You've got uh, I think Liet, Liet Keens, Liet Kynes in the in the thopter. This is like the first time they go out and they see the uh, the spice harvester and the carry all and all that stuff. Um, and they're they're flying out and like this giant fucking lightning bolt comes and like blasts this sandworm. And then Duke Duke Leto Atreides goes worm sign. And then the fucking Fremen dude is like, you've got good eyes, my lord, or something. It's like, yeah, a giant fucking lightning bolt came out of the sky and pointed to the fucking worm. Like, of course he's got good eyes for that. It was a giant lightning bolt. Um, So I thought that was that was hilarious because like up to that point, it was fairly like serious and not super hokey like 80s movies can tend to be. And then it was like, here's a giant lightning bolt. Oh, that's how you know where the worms are. I suppose it's easier to do that than make sand vibrate, I guess. But you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it's... the second, and then the, and then the second thing of of that scene, it's the same scene, right? Then they get to the uh, the spice harvester, and they're like, oh, they do this weird like radio, like some kind of weird like playing the stranger or like the circle jerk or whatever it is, and they're like. 
we have Wormsign coming your way. And they're like, who is it? And then like Duke Leto is like, don't tell them who it is. And they're like, oh, just a concerned party or something, right? And it's like super like awkward and weird. And then and then they're like, well, we don't believe you. And then he's like, this is Duke Leto Atreides. And so like, why even bother with the with the subterfuge? Like, just tell him who it is. Like, who gives a fuck? And then they're like, you're not going to have time to evacuate. How many people are on there? And the guy's like, oh, we got like 28 people on board. And they take this... Uh, ornithopter that's the size of my honda civic down to the 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 planet surface and they're like everybody get on board well you've already got six people in that thing how are you gonna fit 28 more and then like two dudes hop on board and they take off like they saved everybody Mm -hmm. and i was like that's not how does how does that work they made weird shortcuts that there's supposed to be several ornithopters there you know what i mean like obviously you remember the for those who don't remember there's like a art not a armada but there's several ornithopters going together to protect the duke in case there's trouble as they take over this planet from their enemies and they have to empty all their shit out you know to get to save these people yep so they actively have to abandon parts of the planes to get them or ornithopters yeah yep it kind of uh diminishes the goodness of the good duke or whatever goodness of the red duke yeah it diminishes that and then it kind of diminishes like it it really kind of makes the atreides as like like i don't know if this is the right way to phrase it but kind of like you know like the trailer park duke or something right like they they they're like the emperor's like hey uh my man leto atreides why don't you go take over all the spice production okay uh, you're bringing everybody, right? And Duke Leto's like, I'm bringing everyone. And uh, Emperor's like, okay, so you got what, like uh, 60,000 people or something? And, and Duke Leto in this movie is like, I got eight, eight people. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and then it's like, okay, you're going out into the desert and a hostile planet. How many ornithopters are you going to bring? One. 100? Excellent, Duke. Excellent. No, no, I didn't say 100. I said one. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like this guy's a, a duke of of a of a major family. Like he's the head of a major family. He's got his own signet ring. He's a member of everything. Like he's he's not just some some dude, you know, pretending to be a duke. Right. He's a member of the royal family. Yeah, he's got all the resources all the other people do. He might not be as as rich as the Harkonnens having run the spice production for the past however many, you know, years or decades. But he's not a chump. He's able to host lavish dinner parties on Caladan. He's able to like uproot his entire estate and people and bring them to Arrakis. So, you know, the movie really kind of made them like, well, we're just kind of here hoping we get our shot at, you know, being something. But they were already something, you know, like they should have just shown them as a class act, which is what they were. Right. Yeah. He's supposed to be the Red Duke because he's... Uh, apparently very proficient at battles and that is why they had to plan so carefully to fight against him because he is well known for being proficient at killing people yes (laughs) so yeah they definitely made some odd choices uh you know like like i said and like you said like some of the casting was great but i don't i don't like i feel like they really kind of like hamstrung the atreides the Fremen and the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. By cutting out things, you know, for time. And like, I understand you're making a two hour movie out of a book that, you know, should be six hours minimum. Easily. Easily. And it's not broken up like uh, Lord of the Rings is, where you can just yeah. cut out a massive part of the story that takes up a huge part of the book, but it's not important to the overall, you know, storyline. Yeah, and Lord of the Rings is like the right way to do that because they're still long movies, right? And the director's cuts are even longer, or the extended editions is what they call them. Um, but you still lose you lose stuff from the book, of course. 
but you get the overall, and this is maybe the most important thing, you get the overall feel of the book, right? The book is like an epic, the, or the trilogy, you know, is like an epic thing, like it's an epic adventure journey, and that's what you get in the movies, even if you cut out like Tom Bombadil and some other stuff. And the Return to the Shire. Yeah. And you cut all this stuff out, and it's okay because it's a long-ass movie as it is, and you want to keep the spirit or the intent of it there. And with this one, it kind of felt like they took all all the parts out that kind of give it life and make it different than other kind of like schlocky 80s sci-fi films. Right. Yeah, it's it's fine for an 80s shit movie, but it's not exactly great. I wouldn't call it a yeah. masterpiece. No, there's good parts. Uh, there's there's things to enjoy, especially if you like Dune. It's not right. it's not the first one I'd recommend watching. You know, I'd I'd recommend the uh, Frank Herbert's Dune miniseries first. I well, probably probably the new Denae Vienne views. You know, part one and two. I haven't seen part two yet because it's not out. But you know, I felt like that was, and we talked about that one. We don't have to go into it here, but that one was very book faithful for the most part. Yeah, I thought it was the good. new one. And the miniseries is good. It's been many, many years since I've watched that. So as long as nobody's sick of hearing about Dune stuff, maybe uh, Mike and I will watch the, the miniseries. And then there's a sequel miniseries with the same actors, Children of Dune, which combines uh, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune into another miniseries. So, and I've never seen that. So we should do both of those miniseries and then do our thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. I think I have them at the house. Al barred them to me a while yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. He barred it to me when I, uh, I had to take off like three months off of work. And I never okay. watched him. <laughs> yeah. So. so I feel like I'm, well, I don't know. Let me compare it to this other one here. I'm about, I'm a little, little less than halfway through this stick. I just, I guess like acrid is kind of like how I would kind of describe the taste, the flavor. So I have to be a hundred percent honest with you. Okay. I don't know exactly what it tastes like because every time I start to taste the badness, I just take a little sip of Johnny Walker black and then all yeah. I can taste is Johnny Walker black while I smoke it. <laughs> okay. And so I was I was doing that but I only have had the one black russian out here so I'm out because um you know that's that's right. all I brought out and uh right, I'm not right. really well it's not like an overpowering taste that lingers like uh whiskey is you know. Yeah. Um but yeah this doesn't taste great at all and um I would, do you know anything about this? I've never heard of this brand Underground Underground. Uh, what I know is that it was in the right price frame. Okay. And that is it. I never heard of it. Okay. Either. I was it was in the uh the uh $5 online range, which is why I got it. And that is it. <laughs> there we go. So it's it's called a, a premium handmade cigar by Oh no, wait, dude. Hold on. Let's see if this is the same one. I want a picture. Oh, okay. This is okay. Oh my god. I just found out something that will shake you to the core. Oh, no. This underground shade is made by Drew Estate. Really? Really. Shame on them. This is, and they've got, uh, well, okay, so they've, they've got actually decent ratings on this uh, jrcigars.com, it looks like. Uh, so I don't know. It's not good, though. I would yeah, not call so this good. <laughs> this is what this one says. So this is the uh, the Drew Estate Underground Maduro, which, uh, oh yeah, which we have. This is the next one we'll do, but it says a high-end cigar for the working man. Ah, okay. And and so well, this one, the Drew Estate Underground, it says it re- received a well-deserved 91 rating. The Maduro? Uh, but the, the Maduro. So okay. I don't know about this other one, but this other one is... The Shade Grown Connecticut is not what... <sighs> is, is, it's absolute hogwash is what it is. <laughs> I've made it over halfway. <laughs> I can I can recommend you 
a hundred cigars better than this for the everyday working man. <laughs> if it's not as good as a mummy dick, it's not worth smoking, I guess. Like mummy dicks are shrews. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, like I, I really enjoy the shrews, but I also enjoy, I'd rather have a nub Connecticut, right? Like, you want something oh, in a similar yeah. price range by a similar cigar company of uh, esteem or whatever prestige? I just get a Nub Connecticut or something. Like, there's yeah, no the reason Nub to get this. Nub packs are cheap. Yeah, they're so cheap. You can get what the hell is it like twenty five cigars for one hundred and thirty bucks when they go on sale. Yeah, and they're good. Well, and the same with the uh, La Gloria Cubanos. You yeah. know, like any one of those on sale in a pack. Smoke that before even thinking about looking at this one. I don't think it's as bad as Nate says it is. It's just not good. It's my Dude, opinion. Man, I don't think it's that's like... The jo- that's the Johnny Walker talking. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had that much Johnny Walker, but I'm definitely letting it sit right, in my you're tongue. You're using it. Yeah, you're using it to get through the cigar. So <laughs> yes, let's just call it for what it is. <laughs> just like we said earlier, if you're going to make the Mentats not have red lips and give them giant freaking <laughs> eyebrows, don't tell us at the beginning that Mentats have red lips. Right. We can just say they have giant eyebrows. Yeah. Brad just call, just call it has out. a squirrel glued to his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Those were two squirrel tails glued yes. to his forehead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Thufer had uh, two skunk tails. Oh, yeah. Glued to his. Those were massively bushy. And at first I was like, because I watched it with Luke, right? So I was like, Luke, are those, are those this guy's like... Honest to goodness, real life eyebrows. And Luke's like, I don't think so. But then I saw uh, Peter DeVries and I was like, oh, okay, that's how they're designating Mentats in this movie. But at first I was like, there's no reason to give him that big of eyebrows if they're not his like true eyebrows. Um, but then later it was revealed that that was their stylistic choice. It's bizarre. It Well, it's 80s, very 80s. It's, yeah, and not in a good way. Why were the Bene Gesserit bald? They're supposed to be hot ladies. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe in, uh, what, 21, whatever the fuck, um, bald ladies are the the hottest thing ever. But they've never, (laughs) in the books, they were never described as being bald. No, no. They're like extremely attractive uh, weapons, physical weapons, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre. Very, very strange. Very strange. (laughs) Well, and, and it's even weirder because... They they so they made all the Benedictines bald except for Jessica, right? Jessica wasn't bald, and Princess Irulan, she wasn't. Yeah, Princess Irulan wasn't bald, but Princess Irulan never went through the spice agony, so she's not a full reverend mother. Jessica didn't go through the spice agony at the start of the book. She went through. Oh, very true, very true. Yeah. So, but she was still not bald at the end. I think Mm -hmm. of the of the movie anyway. You know what I mean? Like they didn't kind of like make her bald then at the end. But the point is that uh, not only is it weird that. they made them bald, which is one, which is one thing. It's it's one choice, and that's fine. But then they gave them these really like ornate headdress things that kind of hid the baldness. So if if you're giving them these giant ornate headdresses, why make them bald? Just like if you're going to give the Mentats giant bushy eyebrows, why would you mention that their lips are red and not have like a huge stain on their face? Like yeah, they should have stained lips, maybe. Yep. Yep. And so yeah, teeth. definitely some some interesting stylistic choices, but not as bad as I was initially thinking, but it still only got a 5 out of 10 on IMDb from me. All right. It's did an alien come out in like 1980, the original yeah. alien? 
I mean, like by comparison to Alien, this movie three sucks. or something. Yeah. yeah, this movie is, and you would think because up until like there was no Alien IP before Alien came out, right? Right, like there was a whole unique thing that came out. Well, Dune was already an established book and best-selling book at that when this movie came out, and so it's like you've got Alien. And then aliens shortly thereafter, and you've got this like phenomenal like brand new IP that they're creating. And then you take something that's an established IP, or at least at the height of its popularity, right after the books came out, and kind of do what they did with it, which is didn't really do it a whole lot of justice. I mean, there are certainly good things about the movie, uh, like we said, but in comparison, this would be like oh, I don't know, maybe a, a major studio remaking one of their animated classics and just completely flubbing it and losing tons of money at the box office. But I don't know who that would be. I have no idea. Uh, it would it would be akin to a story that has a character whose physical characteristics are the name of the story and then changing the physical characteristics of that character and the sidekicks as well. Yes, the title of the story is what these individuals <laughs> look like physically, and then you yeah. change what they look like physically. When when it was funny that Peter Dinklage came out against them being dwarves when he made a crap ton of money playing a legitimate dwarf in Game of Thrones. Well, it's humorous that they took, well, it's humorous that he took offense at it, and then it's even more humorous that people took him seriously. Because the dwarves yeah. are like magical dwarves that mine for gold in the delving deep. They're not like people. <laughs> they're not human beings. Yes. They're people, but and, they're not and, human and, beings. And, they're mythical creatures. Well, yeah. And it's the same as like giants, right? So like yeah. Jack and the Beanstalk. He goes out the Beanstalk. It's a giant up there. Well, what? Now the giants are taking offense to there being a, a mystical being that's 17 feet tall or something. Right. Like there's nobody yes. that's 17 feet tall. Well, and, even and then the and main then what? Character the hobbits is are the hobbits now dwarves, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's like where does it where does it end? I guess, but yeah, it's a story about semi mythical creatures, uh, all of whom well, are semi mythical. Even the yeah. People. Oh, well, let's let's call let's call it what it is. They're fictional stories about fictional beings in fictional lands doing fictional things, and yes. you know, it's like I don't, I really don't care if if the Little Mermaid is black, white, whatever, because it's a fictional person. You know, as a fictional thing, mermaids yeah, don't, don't have, like, exist. a moral issue with um, it or anything. You know, uh, Ariel is white in the animated one and uh, black in the live action, and that's fine. You know, Snow White being Hispanic or whatever is a little different because she's called Snow White for a reason. Yeah, like her in, physical in, in characteristics In the fairy, in the fairy tale. Yeah. yeah. Skin white as in, snow. In the fairy tale. Hair black as cold. <laughs> red, uh, lips red as a rose, right? Like, this is a semi-mythical characteristic. Yeah, like people don't it typically look it, like you know. That. <laughs> it doesn't make it. It doesn't make it right to have that have that person be white all the time because you can. I mean, like look at Santa Claus, right? Santa Claus has always been whatever color uh, the people in the population have been, right? Oh so like, sure, but in, Jesus. In, in America, well, yeah, in America, Santa Claus is predominantly white. But if you go into Mexico, they're not they're not putting out statues of a Caucasian Santa Claus. And there's other like in the Krampus and like all these other. Uh, iterations of this character so that's not to say that you have to have snow white be white i don't know how we got here from dune well i mean the middle eastern thing or the spice i actually or, have more of a problem with the snow white thing because the the name of the story is snow white and the seven dwarves it's supposed to be 
the Snow White mythical being and the Seven Dwarves mythical being. It's like, that's the story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's yep. in the name. <laughs> it's not the well, Santa, I mean, can't, Santa Claus uh, is Santa Claus as long as he's, you know, Santa Claus and wearing it up, the red it suit. Really matter. Yeah, yeah. It's more about the red, the red suit and delivering toys. And maybe it's even less about the suit and just more about the toys, you know, and doing it all in yeah. one night. But basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like what Santa Claus looks like is kind of irrelevant to an extent. It's not like yeah. his descriptor is his name. <laughs> True. Right. Yeah, Little Mermaid. If Little Mermaid wasn't a mermaid, then there'd be a problem. Yeah. Right. If Little Mermaid was like a fucking unicorn, then it wouldn't be the Little Mermaid anymore, would it? <laughs> no. It would not. I suppose so. they can't call it the Ugly Duckling anymore either, huh? It's got to be the, the, I don't know, something else. Like Ugly Duckling has kind of like a bad connotation, I guess, right? Ah, but then I that's the point so. of the story. But that's the point of the story is you're not supposed to judge people based on their looks. Right. And it's a geese or a goose or a swan or something like that. It's a, yeah, it's a swan that falls yeah, in, yeah. a baby swan with that falls in with the ducklings. Right. And it looks way different, so they're making fun of him, but then he turns into this beautiful swan or he or she, whatever. I'm sure the gender of uh, birds doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I don't even know. It's, it's not important. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> as a far kid, as like, it's a kid's story. It's a kid's story. So Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's Give like having a Daffy magical... Duck story and then having Bugs Bunny as the main character. Right. Yeah, like, which happens quite frequently because Bugs is the star of anything he's ever in. So Right. That's also true. <laughs> That's also true. Yep. Do you want to keep uh keep on keeping on with this stick or Well, I already know that you don't want to keep on keeping on. Whatever <laughs> gave you that idea. I'm trying to be open and uh receptive to new thoughts and perspectives in my life. I have about two and a half inches left. Maybe three. Holy shit. Maybe three inches left. And it is sour. For sure. I just hit I just hit the halfway point and I just I you know I don't think it's, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, it's sour. I, 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 it's not. It's it's almost it's giving a me a headache. Should, it's a thing you shouldn't put in your mouth. <laughs> so yeah, the inside of the band says Drew Estates right on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, took the band off and uh God, that's disappointing. Yeah, I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but I hope the Maduro is better next episode. Ugh, if it's not, my episode is going to be very short because I have two pages worth of notes. <laughs> okay. Well, there's plenty of stuff to talk about. I just, uh, I can't with this Undercrown Shade Connecticut. Yeah. If it was good, it we'd do is... a little bit of vamping, but this is great. Yeah, and there's more Dune stuff we could talk about, but I, you know, like the cigar is bad and the Dune movie was bad. So I don't really, you know, like I just have a bad feeling. I just, let's, let's go happy. Let's be happy. Yeah, yeah. So... I guess that'll be all. I'm putting it down. Yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to put this thing out of its misery and out of our lives for forever. Um, if anyone offers you an Undercrown Connecticut shade, Connecticut, um, tell them no, and then cease to be friends with them. Uh, you know, maybe if you put tequila on it, but other Ooh, than that, yeah. We should try this as a tequila cigar because we did the uh, the Bin Maduro, and we've done some off, not on the show, but yes. it would be very interesting to do one, and I don't want to do the... the uh, what is it, the, the uh, Blood Red Moon cigar? Because I don't think a flavor, it might be an interesting like scientific experiment, but we should do a tequila cigar on a cigar that we both dislike. Like we didn't dislike the Bin Maduro, but it was just meh. This one, right. like I actively hate, I actively hate this cigar. So maybe we should try this. You said you have another one in your cigar. box, don't you? Yeah, the longer one. Thank God it's longer. I can't wait to smoke more of this. 
I'll have to look and see if I have yeah, one. Let's, let's, yeah, let's. If you have one, let's do the long one as a tequila cigar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not even avoid, looking forward to it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, no, avoid this stick at all costs. I am putting this as like my second least favorite cigar after the Blood Red Moon. Yeah, I think that's the only one we quit early, isn't it? Uh, we quit another one, one of the Gurkhas, Gurkha. I think. We quit one of the Gurkhas, yeah. But even that was better than this because this is just sour all the way through. And the Gurkhas, you can at least smoke slower and it tastes better. But this one, I'm smoking super slow because I'm only halfway through and it's still sour and acrid and gross. And uh, yeah, the first quarter inch was rough. I, that it, was rough. Yeah, that was, we powered through to get more worse stuff. So yeah. Anyway. So. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy 1984 Dune with a nice Undercrown Shade, Connecticut. Be safe, have fun. 